0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome again. Um, For those that haven't been coming along or it's your first time, we're going through Matthew kind of systematically uh, for the most part. Not every verse, but a lot of them, um, in order to just see kind of what God says to us today. We called it the Jesus story because it's all about Him, really, and we want everything in our church life to be for Him, and to Him, and through Him. And last week, well actually the last couple of weeks Jesus has kind of changed tack really he's on a sermon on the mount it's the same sermon so if you think our sermons are long imagine what it was like for him imagine what it was like for paul i mean he somebody died and fell out of a window paul preached so long so never be you know never think these are too long at 20 minutes or half an hour be thankful but jesus is spending his time talking about the law and you think, oh, what's he going on about? You know, he's been talking about the Beatitudes. It's been really interesting. And then he starts talking about the law. And you think, oh, this is the time to switch off when you're on the Sermon on the Mount. But actually, he starts to almost update it and fulfill it and, and bring to life some of these teachings that were brought in Moses' day. And uh, the first one that we looked at last week was he t- the law said, don't murder, which obviously still stands today. Don't go around doing that. Jesus didn't see the need to kind of change that. But he added to it that if you're angry in your heart with someone, it's as if you hate them. It's, it's the same thing. Don't be angry in your heart. Don't hold grudges. Don't look at people that way. Don't speak of people in that way. In other words, it's not just your outward appearances that, that, that matter anymore. We could all probably, hopefully, sit here and say, I'm not a murderer. But could we all sit here and say, I've never hated someone in my heart? Jesus tries to take it a little bit deeper He then talks about committing adultery or even lusting after someone. Again, he talks about something that is deeper, something that goes on in our hearts. And what happens in here matters to God. What we say, what we think, what we feel, what we do. He then talks about divorce, which I'm not going to cover this morning. Carl mentioned last week a little bit about it. Um, But if I was going to sum up the teaching on divorce, it would be one line that said, marriage is something that God takes really seriously that marriage is something that God puts a really high value on, and it's between one man and one woman. And that's what he says. And he's, and it, and he's, he's written, written those verses in there, and obviously it's pastorally sensitive, and there's lots of different nuances and different situations, but that he doesn't like cheap divorce. Divorce that's just, you know, like your Britney Spears, who gets married and then two days later is divorced. He doesn't like that not into that at all and it's more a, here is a high value on marriage. And obviously those verses are very complex and they'll be different for different people that are sat here and what I'm gonna say is if you wanna talk about those, if you'd like to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you in private about it because probably that's the best place for those kind of discussions. Or we can put on some sort of separate teaching seminar in and around that subject. Again, if there's kind of demand for that, then we're happy to do that. But this morning, I wanted to look at, we've looked at kind of our our heart and what goes on in the inside. And what flows from our heart, Jesus says, ends up coming out of our mouth. And that's what we see in the next next section of Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. So let me just read it to you. Uh, It's 33 through 37 of Matthew chapter 5. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything more than that comes from evil and just like um just to say as we begin here this passage is something i really struggle with not because i'm looking at it and it's really convicting but because of the language that's used in my translation he uses the word oath which i'm not good on ths he uses the word throne i'm not good on ths again i used to say um i remember well i don't remember this but i'm told this story of i was watching aladdin as a three-year-old so that'll give you an idea of how old i am at the cinema And my auntie, the genie comes out the bottle, and my auntie remembers me saying, hey, that genie, he's free like me. Because I was three at the time, but he was obviously free from the genie bottle. But that's stuck since, you know, my THs aren't great. So for the purposes of the rest of the time, I'm going to try and replace the word oath with kind of a promise. Making a promise and breaking it or swearing on something. But it's the same idea. It's the same idea that Jesus is talking about here. It's just for my convenience and for your benefit. Because every time you'll be thinking, I'm thinking about an oath as opposed to taking, you know, a solemn vow. So just to clear up that confusion. And you might be questioning, because I did this when I came to this passage. We've, we've looked at, you know, you think there's been murder. Jesus has then gone after adultery. He's talked about divorce. These are big things. And then all of a sudden he's talking about making promises and breaking your promises. In terms of injustice, and scale, and poverty, and wars, and rumors of wars, it kind of just seems a bit, well, flat, really. Why does Jesus include this here? Why is it so important? And I think it's because it's so key to our purpose and our mission as Christians today. We're known for what we say. Yes, people look at us, and there's that kind of old, I don't know if it's a fallacy that say, you know, use words occasionally, you know, the idea of when you're witnessing to people, occasionally use words. Well, that's just rubbish, you know. You need to obviously model your life, but you need to use words as well because you've got to tell them about Jesus. But this section here is all about what we speak, and it's huge because people listen to you. People listen to the throwaway comments that you make. People listen to when you're in a good place, when you're in a bad place. People watch you. People watch your social media. People Facebook stalk you when you don't know about it. That's a real thing, by the way. It happens. People go through your photos and bring them up and remind you of photos from 10 years ago but what we communicate we can get a reputation for and people remember so the people at work will make decisions on your character based on your use of language most of the time what you're saying how you speak are you kind are you gentle are you humble back in the story I found on the news. It was in late November of 2015. I don't know if you caught this when it happened. It was the news of a trainee medical doctor who was studying at Leicester University. And he'd been thrown off his course and, and removed from practicing medicine and not allowed to do that. And it was all because of a post he made on social media. A friend of his on, I, I guess, Facebook had um, put up an explicit image of his friend. Like So a friend had put up another image of his mutual friend. And he had put, in response to the comments, a picture of Liam Neeson from Taken, followed by the words, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And because of that post, the student reported it, and he was taken to the the medical scheme of his university and thrown off his course because he was not fit to practice medicine because he obviously isn't caring for people. Now, okay, it's a joke maybe and he obviously definitely regretted it because he got lawyers involved and he was still deemed unfit to practice medicine. But the things that we say, the words that we say, the way that we speak it, it matters. People listen, people take heed of it. Even jokes uh, that are maybe well-intentioned can be read the wrong way and taken and things can escalate. And now, even more so today, you know, the things that we write down uh, in emails or in texts or on social media unless we delete it, it still leaves a trace, doesn't it? There can still be things that you said eight years ago that people can find and dig up on you. Now I'm not suggesting that people do that, but you know, when people go for interviews and stuff, now a lot of employers check kind of your social media posts or things that are on the internet or things that are online about you. Why do you think Google introduced that you can hide your past thing? and you can delete things that are in your past because people are trying to cover up silly things and stupid things that they've said in the past. The stuff that we say sticks to us. We get a reputation for being really positive or optimistic or glass half empty, glass half full, just by the words that we speak. When people hear you and when, when you're speaking, what do you want people to see? That was the kind of question that these verses prompted in my mind. Is it someone that moans a lot or whinges a lot or is you know, always talking about football or whatever? Or is it that I want people to get Jesus from my use of language, from the things that I say, the way that I conduct myself? And I think as a church, and I don't just mean our church, I mean the church, need to reclaim a degree of holiness. I think the idea of living a holy life, of walking rightly before God, has just been Downplayed so massively, and I think as Christians, we have to reclaim that. We have to set the bar higher because Jesus sets the bar. The standard of holiness isn't me and my language, the standard of holiness isn't my mate at work and his standard of language. It's what Jesus says, it's what God has to say. And th- this is these are words from Matthew 15, Jesus Himself. Whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and it defiles a person. So, we looked at the heart last week, whatever is going on here ends up coming out of here you know if we're discontent and we're we're struggling and whatever often that's projected out of our mouths isn't it if we're if we're really really feeling low and pessimistic what's going to come out of our our mouths what kind of language are we portraying to the people that we're with and this morning is another matter of the heart really because i want us all to consider the language that we use and the way that we speak things because that's what jesus goes after here so let's just see what he says in Matthew 5. He says, again, you've heard it said to those of old. So again, he's saying, this is what used to be, but this is what I'm going to say. Again, you've heard it say to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, he doesn't quote directly any part of the law here, but he kind of takes a summary of words in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. This is Numbers 30, just to give you an idea. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath that word to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do so according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So the Old Testament teaching, in a nutshell, was what you said you would do by God, you would do. So if you say, I'm going to do this, and by God I'm going to do this, I swear on God's life or whatever they would have said, I swear before God Almighty, heavens and earth, that this is true and I'm going to do it, you would do it. That would be the law. So, for example, if, if back in the day you said, I swear today by God I am going to walk this dog. I, if, if they did that, you know, I, I'm going I'm to take it on a half an hour walk. I swear by God that I'm going to do this. If you didn't do that, you would, by law, pay the consequences for that. Before God, you'd be setting yourself up for being in trouble with the Almighty. You'd be in sin. You'd be given permission to God to deal with you. So in order to to not make false promises, the people of God got a little clever. Now, well, I say clever. It wasn't clever at all. They thought they were clever. But particularly in the day here with the Pharisees, because that's who he's talking to. And so what they would do is they would change the way that they spoke these vows. So instead of saying, uh, I swear before God Almighty I will walk the dog, they would say, I swear by the heavens and the earth, That I will walk the dog. So therefore, if they didn't walk the dog, they wouldn't be in trouble because they hadn't invoked the name of God. They thought, well, I'll uh, I'll just change the kind of scheme a little bit so that I can say what I want, so that I can break promises and it doesn't matter. And Jesus updates it to say, well, actually, it does matter. What they'd done, it's, it's taken something that God had said and twisted it to suit their own agenda. And, that, and that's kind of what we do a lot of the time, isn't it? We take something that God says and we just kind of twist it so it fits in with our understanding. They move the goalposts. Maybe they were struggling. Do you know that expression, they move the goalposts? It's kind of association football thing where, you know, my team are rubbish as usual, you know, and we, we can't score the goal. So you'd move the goalposts. You'd make the goals bigger so that you'd have an unfair advantage so that it was easier. You might even make the goalposts smaller for your, the opposition. So that you would gain this massive advantage. So you would twist the game in order that it would benefit you. Which is what these guys here were. They were twisting God's word, twisting the law in order that they could try and at least on the face of it, seem like they were attaining what was expected of them. Does that make sense? They, they weren't going to be able to keep their promises that we were making. So they moved the goalposts. They made it easier. They made the expectations of what the Lord would say Lower. They reset the bar of what it meant to follow God. And when we do that, we're on dangerous ground, aren't we? When you or I become the barometer for what's acceptable and God doesn't, we're on shaky ground. When it's my word over God's word or your word over God's word, we start deviating from the truth. And we end up that—we end up off the narrow path and on that wide path very quickly. Because it just starts with one thing. It could be our language even. And God here, Jesus here, is on about resetting the standard, saying actually there's a higher expectation that's put upon you. And he's talking not just about whether we make oaths or we make promises and we keep them or not, but generally about our language and the words that we use. You know, just because, you know, in the Bible it doesn't say this. I've checked. It doesn't say that you can't hack into somebody's broadband. Uh, and use it freely, and they don't know about it. Now, just because it doesn't say it in the Bible doesn't mean it's right, does it? People do that all the time, We'll make excuses, well, I can get on this broadband, or just because it doesn't say something about, you know, your benefits that you're getting off the government, you haven't declared your income properly, in exactly that sentence, we try and twist the system a little bit. You know, if you're not paying enough tax, you're stealing. Whether you like it or not, oh, well, I don't like the tax, man, the rates are tax. we're stealing. Is the bottom line. And uh, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's applying that, but to our use of our language. That it's our words. that Actually, w- what is appropriate is what God has to say. Verse 34, I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or earth, its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Don't take an, uh, don't make a promise, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. To sum up that is you can't just ignore what Jesus says. We can't just go, well, I'll take this bit of scripture because I like that and I like what Jesus says here and ignore the next bit. You know, like last week where Carl was saying, talking about anger and you know, burning the fires of hell. We can't just take one bit and ignore the other bit. We have to take it as a whole. And the apply, it applies here too. We can't just twist it. Jesus here points out that making a promise or swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or even by your own heads, you know, I swear on the number of fingers I have on my hand that I will do this. He says, don't do any of it because it all finds its way back to me. It all has a relation to God. Look, the hair on your head, I know how many gray hairs you've got in your beard, Dan. You don't. I know that it's growing by the day. And for other people that I've had a conversation with today who's keep your hair short so that people can't see the grace. God knows better than we do. The larger point is this, that actually Jesus wants Christians, wants people to follow him. He wants us to speak in such a way that people can take us at our word. Right? That if we say something, it's true. He even says here, at the start of his correction to the Pharisees, he says, but I say to you, Do not take an oath at all. Don't take one. If you can avoid taking an oath and making silly, rash promises and swearing on things, don't do it. Now, obviously, there is a place and a time for those kind of things. You know, if you're in court, you've got to do it. Or you make vows on your wedding day. You know, there are moments where it's okay. Jesus isn't doing a blanket ban on that kind of speaking. But more in our kind of general conversation. If we keep our word, if we actually arrive when we say we're going to arrive, if we do what we say we're going to do, if we're reliable, if we're trustworthy, making vows becomes unnecessary. You see that? If I say, I promise on my mother's life I'll be there. If they know I'm going to be there because I'm always there and I'm always keep my word and I'm always reliable, I don't need to make a rash vow. I don't need to swear on something. And, you know, keeping our word, it might seem like a tiny thing compared to, like, adultery or compared to murder, which are the two that Jesus have gone before. But it's massively important because it's countercultural living. Think of it in this way. Um, Sky, BT, everything everywhere, TalkTalk, Talk, whoever your supplier are um, for your broadband, your internet, your home, phone. And, you know, they do this thing where they say an engineer will be with you between nine and five. It's frustrating, isn't it? When they can't just do, we'll be with you between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. And then you can plan for it and you say, right, well, I'll have a half day and then I'll work in the afternoon. But they do this really annoying thing where they say, I'll be with you between 9 and 5. And most of the time they turn up at 4.55. But on occasion, they don't even turn up. You've taken a day off work. You've taken time off your schedule. And they haven't kept your word. They haven't kept their promise that they were going to be there. It's annoying, isn't it? Right? Is it just me that that winds up? It's frustrating. We don't like it. Recently, for me, as I was buying a new car because mine was dying, um, he's not here, Andy Payton, so I can say this, it's okay. Car salesman. Flipping heck. I don't want to. Uh, uh, apart from Andy, who I love and is great. I just don't want to. I mean, if they come to Jesus, that's great, then come to church. But I don't want to buy another car for a long time because they make it incredibly stressful. Oh, yeah, Mr. Guy, I'll phone you back in five minutes. Do they phone? No. Oh, well, uh, the part's coming in so it'll be here by the weekend. Does it come in by the weekend? No. Do they let you know it's not coming? No. Do you always have to phone them time and time again? And it just becomes incredibly frustrating. There might be people in your own circumstance, people at work that say, I'm going to be there at this time. They're never there. People that are always routinely late. It's actually not keeping our word. If we say something starts at seven, be there at 6.55. Because... It promotes something to the people that are watching. If we're always late, what do people interpret that as? If we never keep our word, how do people read that? But if we're people that always keep our word, that always uh, fulfil the promises that we make, it's countercultural, and it means we don't need to swear on stuff. I don't need to say like I used to at school, Miss Miss, I swear on uh, I swear on my family that my dog ate my homework. I didn't have a dog. She didn't know. Well, she probably did know that actually. <laughs> But if we were being truthful all the time, we wouldn't need to bother making rash oaths like that. Jesus says we don't need to take them. He then continues on, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, if we were reading that literally, you might think it would be evil to say the word probably. Or, oh, can I answer you maybe? That's not what he means. But he means if you're going to say, yes, you're going to do something, yes, you would do it. Or, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. Let your answers be as simple as yes and no. Back in the second century, Josephus, who's a famous historian and he, he, he wrote... Uh, Lots of historical accounts, particularly interesting that he kind of validated the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't deny the resurrection of Jesus. But he also wrote some other things. And uh, there was a Jewish sect in the second century called the Essenes. And he recorded this down about this kind of group of Jewish people that were separate to other groups of Jews. Whatever they say is firmer than an oath. Swearing is avoided by them, and they esteem it worse than perjury. For they say that he who cannot be believed without swearing by God is already condemned. It's interesting that, isn't it? He who cannot be believed without having to make a rash promise, without having to swear on something, is already condemned. You know, the reason that we do that and we kind of elaborate and we say, oh yeah, I promise you on this, I'll be there, is because so often we lie and our words actually mean nothing. And that applies to all of us, doesn't it? Because we're all in that boat. We've all done that. We all do it. And actually, I think Jesus' teaching here applies to more than just taking oaths, which is why it's helpful for us. Because some of us might not do that whole, I swear, on so-and-so since we were in school. When, in my day, it was cool to do that. I don't know if it's cool anymore. Probably not. But now, we, we might not do that. That might not be our culture. But other things might be. So I think Jesus' teaching here applies to all forms of exaggeration. When we over-exaggerate stuff. And we say, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da. It was actually all right. <laughs> say it's all right. That's okay. Because we're holding some integrity then. We're speaking the truth. We're not overegging it. Now, if there's one thing we can, it's not exaggeration, is it? If we're saying God is amazing, God is amazing, God is amazing. You cannot exaggerate the goodness of God enough. You can't do that. But you can with your own life. We can overreg it a little bit. All forms of exaggeration, I think, here. Hyperbole. You know, people that have always got a story about something. If you're one of those people that you've got to have a story about everything, even if you were never there, just just pause. You don't need a story. It's okay. In fact, what Jesus does here is says, look, actually, guys, be yourself. You don't need to be somebody else. You don't need to over it. Just be who you are and follow after me and speak the truth in love in all the things that you do. Walk with integrity. Walk with honesty. God sees our hearts, doesn't it? Even if we pull the wool over our own friends' family's eyes, God sees our lies and our bluffs. And I just thought, I'd, uh, just by way of interest, I, want, I did a little Google as what the most common kind of lies and bluffs are that we pull. And I read it and I was like, oh man, I can like tick every one of these boxes at some point in my life, you know? And these are the most common ones that we do. And they might not think these are a big deal, but actually the way that our language is used and the way that they can escalate can lead us down paths we don't want to go. So these were the top three lies that people play out, and it applied to both men and women. I kind of collated the two because, funnily enough, men and women had different top threes. Can you believe that? And one of them was saying no to, does my bum look big in this? But that's not in the top three. The first one was saying, you know, if you're asked a question, you say, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. No, I'm okay. Second one was to say, I'm on my way. Actually, you're still on the toilet. Or whatever, you've no intention of being on your way. Or this one, man, this one, heat burning calls in my head. Sorry, I missed your call. What does that mean? Does that mean I actually am sorry I missed your call? Or I saw it ringing and ignored it? What does that mean? Like, you know, I was in a business meeting or I was doing something else. So they were the top three that people just trot out, probably without thinking about it. Probably say, sorry Mr. Call, oh, I'm on my way, yeah, oh, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. And the bluffs, these are even better. So these are, these are things that people do to make themselves seem better than they are, which is again, a form of exaggeration and kind of what Jesus is getting at a little bit here in not keeping our word. And the top one was to falsely claim to have read some highbrow stuff to seem clever. <laughs> So just drop it in conversation. I was just reading some Plato last night and uh, he was talking about X and Y and it was brilliant, it was beautiful. People do that. The second one, and uh, yeah, I think we've all done this. It's branding popular films rubbish in public only to secretly enjoy them. But, you know, I'm happy to say that Lion King is one of my favorite films. And anything made by Disney. Apart from Little Mermaid, because she's scary. Not the mermaid, Ursula. Third, fabricating stuff, whether it's academic achievement or your current job role. So, you might be a bin man, but when introducing yourself, you say hi, Waste Disposal Manager. Come on. Why do we do it? (laughs) Why do we do it? And it might start as harmless and little, But it actually devalues our walk with God and devalues our integrity before him. Because we're not walking in honesty. And we all fall short of this. And it might seem insignificant. Oh, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't done anything like that. But that's in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of God. And we are called to a different standard. We are called to a higher standard. Which is kind of what Carl was sharing a little bit at the start of the service, which was heartening. And part of that is being countercultural in the use of our language, that these lips here, they can praise God. That's what they can be used for, the praises of God. But the same breath, we can knock people down and not build the kingdom, but we can destroy things. And the heartening thing for me is that God knows we mess up and God's grace is greater. Because I think this word, you know, sometimes we can sit in church and go, oh, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't, I don't fall in this box. I think we all fall in this box, don't we? But God's grace goes deeper. God still loves us. God still wants us in his family. Still wants us, to, whatever we've done, even if we're a constant potty mouth, and we're, he wants us to fall into his family and to be changed into the likeness of his son. He overrides our mistakes. And a part of that, I think, is getting our heart right before God is that moment where I think we need to take a step back from the culture and the world that we live in and reassess our language by reassessing our entire lives. This is what the Apostle Paul says, and he's talking about sharing the gospel, but I think the application goes beyond that. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's the standard That's when we're, in our language, in the things that we think are appropriate and appropriate, things we put on the internet, that's the standard. Is this pleasing to God? Is this honoring to God? Does it bless his name? Does it bring him glory? Does my language and my words mirror something of Christ to the world? Do people see Jesus in me through the words that I use? That's the challenge. Why does no one trust, I say no one, I mean some of you will. Why doesn't nobody trust the government or the newspapers? Why do we go, oh, it's the Daily Mail or, oh, it's the Times or, oh, it's the Telegraph? Because it's not that they're nasty people, I don't think. I've not met the editors and the writers, I don't know them personally. But I think it's because their yes isn't yes and their no isn't no. No. I think it's because they don't necessarily walk in integrity and walk and speak in truthfulness. What if the church was different? What if we were set apart? What if when people came to us for advice, I mean, I don't mean being mean, but (laughs) we said the truth in love. We spoke well of everyone. We had a higher standard in Christ. You see, the world is full of promise breaking, isn't it? Full of it. We're let down time and time again and sometimes we can be in a we can get ourselves in a stew. I got in a stew because my Mac let me down the other day. It wasn't even a person that let me down. It was my computer. And I was like, oh, you broke your promises. You're supposed to just do this, and you failed me. But people do it all the time. You're supposed to be here, and you weren't. And What if we were different? What if we were there when we said we'd be? Obviously, there are some circumstances where just, you know, acts of God, as they're called, or whatever, happen. Car breaks down, fine. But for the vast majority of the time, we do what we say, and we say you know we say what we mean, and we mean what we say. And it just got me reflecting. This is just by way of conclusion that you know sometimes we're struggling at what to be thankful to God for. You know I don't know if we have moments like that. But one thing we can be thankful for is thankful that God keeps His word. Thank you that God never breaks His promise to us. That when Jesus comes and He says, uh, "The Son of Man to seek and save the lost," and that's said of Jesus, that He comes and He seeks and He saves the lost. Or when he has the opportunity to dodge the cross. He doesn't. He takes it on. For you and for me. He promises he's going to rescue us. He's going to rescue us. He promises he's going to come back again. He's going to come back again. That's the standard. That he's so sure. He doesn't need to make rash vows because it's so true. That Jesus came to get rid of our sin. That's why when it says you're a new creation, you've got to believe it, guys. It's the word of God. It's true. You are the redeemed. If you've put your trust in Christ, you are free from sin, from death, from hell, and you get Jesus forever. Yes, come on. (laughs) I think heaven will be a little more joyous than that. I hope. But we know it's true. It's something that is dependable. When we're singing Christ alone, cornerstone, it's true forever. He keeps his word. He won't let you down. He's not going to not keep his promise. He's not going to be late. He's going to arrive precisely when he means to. And we don't know when that will be, but we know he's coming back. And he's coming back for you. Because he loves you. Because he wants to take you home. If we would just turn around and put our trust in him. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to mirror Jesus? In that people will see the promises and the truth of who he is through your use of language. Because that's what I think he's getting at here. Which means twofold, doesn't it? The stakes can't be higher. (laughs) Because our impact in the workplace or at home can both be a positive and can point towards the hope we have in Jesus. Or by our actions, by our timekeeping, by our promise breaking, can do the other. So, actually, it's not small and insignificant at all, is it? It has huge consequences. This is uh, just some verses from Scripture. As obedient children, it's from Peter, I think, 1 Peter. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, (laughs) but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. God says, Because I'm holy, because I keep my promises you be holy and walk in that way too. And you know, our language really matters. It's it's the primary way that we honour God, isn't it? We honour God with our bodies and the things that we do, but we honour him with our lips as well. Whether we're going to say amen and hallelujah, we're going to praise him in the storm or in the good times. And we can demonstrate with what we say, what we think, which, remember, flows from here. So we've got to get our hearts right before him. We can't just manufacture it, because that's just false, isn't it? But it flows from here, that we can speak the truth in love that what you say you will do, you do. Let's do the things we say we're going to do. On the time scale, we say we're going to do it because it honors God. It pleases God. Speak honorably of everyone. Build people up. And not because we want to keep our mates happy, but because we want to please God. Because we want to honor him. And I tell you, that kind of way of countercultural living, people notice things like that. People think, well, why are you so dependable? Why are you so reliable? Why are you honest? And I don't mean like horribly honest, you know. But wh- why are you speaking the truth in love to me? Why are you there when you say you'll be there and you're always dependable? And we say, well, I'll tell you why. Because my God was for me. And my God is for me. And it points beyond ourselves to something greater. Which is what Jesus is getting at here, that the use of our language, the things that we say can bring him glory, can lead ultimately people on the journey to wanting to find out more about the God that we worship.